Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, take your Bible and uh, let's look at uh, Luke's wonderful gospel, chapter 6, as we continue in this gospel of certainty, the physician Luke, appointed by God to, uh, to write this good news account of the Lord Jesus after a careful search and study, volume 1 is the gospel of Luke, is volume 2 is the Acts of the Apostles, you know that. And in chapter 6, verses 12 to 16 is our text for this morning. Let's, let's read that in Luke 6. 12 to 16. There's a Bible under a lot of the chairs if you need one. If you're here without one, feel free to take that and use that. Luke 6, verse 12. And one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he had designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, sometimes called Jude, you should know, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Well, the title of the message is uh, Jesus Chooses the Twelve. You can check your New Testament, do a study of it. There are four times in the New Testament that uh, the lineup of the 12 are given, name by name by name by name. John, is, uh, John omits it. He never mentions it. They're all dead by that point. By the time John writes, uh, around 95 AD, you live far beyond all the rest. Uh, Matthew mentions it, uh, Mark does, Luke in our text, and then Luke then uh, again in his volume 2, Acts chapter 1, mentions it again. So four times this uh, esteemed lineup of disciples who were promoted now, they, they, they came to the point of no longer being learners or followers of Jesus, and they were given a commission, an appointed task. And an apostle and a disciple are two different things. Sometimes we interchange it with a little thought about it, but they're wholly different. Apostle, uh, and we're going to study what, what exactly that is in this, the choosing uh, of, the, of the 12. Well, what is it that uh, most impresses you, when you about Jesus when you read the Gospels? I wonder about that. It would be fun to have time to let you tell us what most impresses you when you read and see the Lord in one of the four Gospels? What is it? I suggest a number of things. Maybe it's this powerful teaching. Maybe you've had a great teacher or two that stands out in your life. You know, I have those. I still thank the Lord for some of them. Rem Carter, he's now in heaven. A brilliant uh, church uh, uh, historian, PhD from Edinburgh in Scotland. And and tremendous man that God used in my early college days, seminary, Dr. John Whitcomb, uh, tremendous teacher, ter- tremendous teacher, now retired, a 
very aged down in Florida, but God wonderfully used him. Great teacher. I mean, I've had great teachers. Maybe you've had some. Nobody ever taught like Jesus. Nobody. Nobody ever taught. They were astounded when they heard him teach. And, and, and can I tell you, he didn't have PowerPoint. So they said, got to have PowerPoint. Didn't have PowerPoint. They were just absolutely dumbfounded when to hear him teach the Son of God. He wrote the book so he could teach it like no others, right? Or how about preaching? Maybe you've heard some silver-tongued preachers, expositor. I've heard some. So Jim Boyce, Dr. Boyce is in heaven, 10 years now. Unbelievable. Great preacher. Um, Haddon Robinson. Have you ever heard Haddon Robinson preach? Trained a generation of preachers. I hear him preach, and I don't want to open my mouth anymore. Just so, so incredible. His, his uh, ability, God-given ability to, to preach. I dare say that you've heard some, but no one's ever preached like Jesus. Wouldn't it be something just to kind of like flashback and if you could hit the right channel on your satellite TV and like, I think I'll zoom into the Sermon on the Mount, you know? Wouldn't that be something? Space and time, and all, we'll be able to do that. I, I think we'll be able to get some reruns in heaven. I can't wait to see it. And it's, I love it. I can't, nobody ever preached like Jesus. Nobody, nobody. Maybe that's the thing that most impresses you. I say, well, nah, th- those are good, but I really like the miraculous stuff that he does. You know, some people really choke on that. You know, well, you know, they, we're Christians, but we don't believe in all. They've got to kind of demythologize the Bible. And uh, we're educated today, right? We're sophisticated, brilliant. Yeah, right. You know, all that stuff, right? So we just kind of, well, we know it really didn't happen. Even William Barclay has a, quite a series set of uh, commentaries, and he has a lot of color in them. But uh, you know, I never recommend him because he chokes all over on the miraculous. Hey, on this I have on here, maybe it's uh, Jesus walking on the water. Don't read his account in that. He, it, it's shallow water, and it just appeared like Jesus walking on the water. I go, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's amazing, you know, or... Or, or you know, you know, crossing the Red Sea is a problem with that. You know, that's not Jesus, but crossing the Red Sea. You know, it just it was shallow and they went through. Well, you see, you end up with a greater problem, right? Yeah, you know, some of your Pam knows. How do you drown the whole Egyptian army in an ankle deep water? That's a that's a big problem. You know, you got to sort of you know when you start to contort the word, you end up with a whole host of other issues there. It's just easier to say that well, God is great. It's amazing. I mean, even creation. Can I say it again? Some people go like, you think all this came in six days? Absolutely. You know, that's not the great theological question with Almighty God is, God, why six days? Could have been, whoop, there it is. You know, he was teaching us something there about a six and one. We talked about that. Well, maybe it's some miraculous walking on the water. How about feeding the, thou- uh, feeding the 4,000 and then feeding the 5,000? With a boy's lunch, I mean, that's really miraculous. You ever try to get a lunch away from a boy who's hungry? That's a miracle. It's, <laughs> no way, you know. <laughs> and Phil, they got to peel it away. How many we got here? Fishes and bread. There you go. Yeah, that's a, yeah. All right. How about raising the dead? Let's do a study of the gospel. Jesus always interrupted funerals. It's, a, I mean, it's, a, it's quite a thing. You know, every time he showed up, the dead sat up. That's not bad. That's not, 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 not me. I said, boy, that really impressed me. How about his courage? I love his courage. It shows what a real man is. 
He's a man's man. He's not sort of some sort of effeminate, uh, you know, walking around like this. Sometimes you watch these movies and you go like, what is this? You know, these light and loafers and all the right. No way. It's a real man in every way. He was God's ideal man. Perfect. He's a carpenter. You ever seen guys that work with carpentry and stone? They're like they got biceps, right? Guns. You know what I mean? Real man. Courage. And when you read the gospel, he's walking in and kind of like, he's kind of controlling everything. They're sort of like this. And even his arrest and all that, it's sort of like, who's controlling it? It seems like the Lord is. And you're right. You're exactly, exactly right in that. His courage. How about his purity? His purity. It's beautiful. His desire to please the Father in all things. Well, all these are wonderful. But these are not the things that most impress the disciples. They're not. As impressive as they are, they really are. They are impressive. What impressed the disciples most was his prayer life. Wow. It was his prayer life. Wow. His life was so saturated in prayer, and theirs was not. That was the problem. You know, they'd heard him teach, they heard him preach, they saw him do all these things, right? But he prayed. He got up early and prayed. He prayed, we're going to look at him, do a little study of the prayer life of Jesus. He communed with the Father in a way that they knew nothing of. They were ignorant. It's no wonder the only time it's ever recorded in the Gospels where the disciples wanted to sign up for an elective class. They did. You know how it is, pre-register for the next semester. Lord, we want to take the class on prayer. Teach us. Teach us to pray. Why did they say that? Because their prayer life was about Zippo. It was almost worthless. And here, God incarnate craves, saturates, craves to and saturates his life with fellowship and prayer to God the Father. And they're like, wow, this, uh, you know, I, I'm not there. He's in postgraduate studies. I'm in kindergarten. I, I'm barely learning how to tie my shoes. My mother always said that. When you go to kindergarten, it's a big deal. You learn to tie your shoes. I can't wait. They learned to do that, and they said, and I came home, and they said I had to go back tomorrow. I got to go back tomorrow. We're in kindergarten. They were in kindergarten. He's in postdoctoral studies by comparison in this thing called prayer. And they, they were weighed in their own balances, and they said, Lord, we need you to help. They didn't say, Lord, what a great preacher. Teach us how to preach. How do you do that three points in a poem and an outline and preach? How do you do that? How do you command the attention of thousands? How do you do that? How do you, how do you raise the dead? How do you, they didn't ask that. They asked one thing. Lord, teach us to pray. And that's then, you know, where he, and it, we'll see that later, but recorded uh, what's known as the Lord's Prayer. But technically, it's the disciples' prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've studied that in days gone by. Wow, that was the thing that most impressed his disciples. Most impressed him. And it, and it, it should impress, impress us as well. Well, uh, in our too busy day, and it is too busy, isn't it? 
Some people say, I'm too busy to pray. I got a word for you. You're too busy. You need to, you need, if you can't pray, then something's not right. Something's not right, and you'll be a, like a, if you are a Christian, a pygmy. You'll be a midget. You'll never, never grow. You'll be always kind of like swinging back and forth, and the ups and downs in life will just decimate you. You need, if you're too busy to pray, you need to say, Lord, forgive me. You need to teach me this. We are followers of Jesus Christ, and if it was important for him, it ought to be an important part of your life. And if you don't do it now, when will you do it? Say, manana, manana. I'll do it another day when it's more convenient. No, you won't. Today's the day. God has all of us here. God has a way of working it out. He knows our needs. He knows where we fall short. He knows where we need to be encouraged. And the Lord's example here is powerful. Just knocks me out, really. We probably need this, this instruction in prayer more than most anything else, don't we? Wow. Well, there are two observations we want to make in just these few verses of Jesus' prayer life, instructing us to give ourselves to prayer. Let me remind you that you and I are never more like Jesus than we're on, when we're on our knees in praying. In praying. Like Jesus, the Son of God, perfect. God made flesh. The theanthropic man. He prayed. Wow. If Jesus got down on his knees, yes, upon his face before the Father, what attitude should we as ordinary people, what attitude should we as ordinary people assume as we go into his presence? Well, two observations. First of all, Jesus prepares for this important selection through prayer. The, he's, he's going to prepare for the selection of his apostles. And second, then he selects them. Those are the two observations. But first, he prepares for this through prayer. We are never prepared for much if we have not first prayed to our Father who is in heaven. You're not. Say, I'm a Boy Scout. You know, the motto, right, guys? Some of you weren't. Be prepared. I learned that right away. Got my tenderfoot. Be prepared. Be prepared. You're never prepared for much. Not much. If you haven't first prayed to your Father who, are, who is in heaven. Well, how does Jesus do this? The text tells us in verse 12, and, uh, and, uh, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Jesus, A, finds a private place, and he spends the whole night praying. He's up all night praying. That's amazing. Wasn't one of these quickies, and we do that, and that's okay. But uh, as Ian Bounds said, our, our quick prayers find their foundation and root in the longer ones that we spend with God. Ian Bounds also said that God's acquaintance is not quickly made. Not quickly made. If you're always calling on God on the fly, and it's okay to do that on the fly, but don't let that be the sum total of the substance of your prayer life. You ought to flex and grow in this thing. Jesus is our example. 
He spent the whole night in prayer. You know, sometimes we sing that old hymn, right? Sweet hour prayer. And I, and I always, I don't want to know, but I just would like to raise the question. Are you lying? Have you ever spent an, an hour in prayer? I don't want to know. You know, the, from the congregations. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. Someone said, never did God's people more lie than when they sing. Don't sing that if it's not true. An hour. Couldn't you watch and pray for an hour? The Lord told the disciples at one point, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They kept falling asleep on him there in Gethsemane. Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. Let that sink in, the reality of that in your life. You don't want to blow the circuits. His prayer, one, was private. He went to a mountainside. He went to a mountain. He went to be uh, by himself. He prayed in secret. His practice reflected in his teaching to the disciples. Go to a private place. Shut the door. And pray to your Father who sees what is a secret and will reward you. Private. Someone said, shut in with God, shut out from all else. He prayed privately. Look, uh, just keep your finger in Luke, but look at Matthew 6, 6. You'll see what I mean, where he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer. He practiced what he taught. He went to a private place. Look at Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, so he assumes the disciples are going to pray. When you pray, go into your room, close the door. And pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans. What's that? They just keep saying nonsense over and over and over and over again. Like a toddler. You ever see a toddler with their mother and their mother's distracted talking on the phone? The little child holding on. Mommy, 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 mommy. Isn't that pleasant at a restaurant when you get the joy of hearing that? You want to go shake the mind. Please answer the child. You know what <laughs> And the pagans just kept repeating over and over and over, like a mantra or some sort of thing. That's crazy. Don't do that. Just pour your heart out. And God who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus went to a, he prayed in private. He went to a mountainside. It was fervent. That was all night. James 5, right? The effectual fervent. That's boiling. That means put, put some heart into it. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. What? With God. God has designed prayer. What a great thing it is. And it's dependent. How many times, not my will, but your will be done, dear Father, it was dependent in his humiliation while here on earth. Well, too, from this we learn that prayer comes first. It's the priority. If he felt the need to begin his mission, his decision-making with prayer, how much more should we feel this need and do it? Like infinitely more, maybe? Like hugely more? We're sinners saved by grace, and we sin. We're, we're frail, puny, small. We're crumbling and dying totally dependent on God, live on a rock, hung on nothing. 
How much more should our life be saturated? Like all the time? It can't be all the time, although we're to pray without ceasing. It, uh, we, prayer ought to be increasingly a major part of our life. Men, you, you need to pray for your, your family if you're married. Cover them. That's the old expression. Cover your, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your, your loved ones in prayer. Cover them like Job did. He prayed for his kids. And maybe they sinned, and he's praying for them in Job 1. And that's, that's the part you and I as pastors in our home and as, as the high priest in our home, uh, so, so to speak. We intercede and pray for them. My kids are always on my mind. You know, sometimes it's for good. Sometimes it's like, let's pray again, you know. <laughs> and again, <laughs> and again. You know how that goes. Oh, my. And then lead in this. Develop this. You know, turn the TV off. Say, well, whoa, we haven't, we haven't prayed yet. Grow in that. You're still here. God has a purpose for it, and he wants to glorify himself through you. God will change you through that, and he'll change, at least from a human perspective, the outcomes of the trials and troubles we face and are in. God has a way of working behind the scenes. It's amazing. You can't script it. You can't do it. But seek him first. That's how you do it. And his kingdom. And God will meet your needs. He promises that. It's a priority. It ought to be. It preceded Jesus' selection of the apostles. And how did he prepare? He did it through a night of prayer. Wow. Well, this prayer was preceded by the choice of the twelve, and you should know, it was often the repeated pattern for the early church when making key decisions. In Acts 6 6, uh, they're, they're, they're praying about uh, deacons, they were murmuring in the church, and the elders thought, uh, the uh, apostles, that they thought we need to have deacons, servants to help carry out the ministry. So there's, there, there's some needs. They prayed for the selection of those that we now know as deacons. In Acts 13, 2 and 3, uh, the church at Antioch is praying. Uh, there was a sense need. We need to send out uh, some missionaries uh, from our church in Antioch. And they, they prayed. And the Spirit of God worked, and, and uh, uh, Paul, the uh, Apostle Paul and Barnabas were selected leaders in the church. And they went, and they prayed, they prayed. And then in, in, in Acts 14.23, uh, we, we find the appointment of elders, and they prayed. The Lord bless their ministry, praying. The church practiced in the early days what they had witnessed the men had witnessed in the life of Jesus. Well, B, the, the prayer life of Jesus teaches us very much, and it should move us to follow him in this. A little study, and I encourage you, do a study of prayer. Maybe you need a, a brand new study, something fresh. Study the prayer life of Jesus. And uh, go through and log everything that you observe and note and how it applies to us today. Uh, first is posture in, in prayer. Uh, at times we find him standing and praying. Uh, when the feeding of the 5,000, when he took the bread and the fishes, he prayed, the text says. He's standing and he prays, and his arms are often outstretched. It's a symbol of utter dependency on God. He's standing. At other times he's kneeling. Uh, at, at one of the times in Gethsemane. And then next he's on his face in Gethsemane. 
One, one man writes, posture is not everything, but it's something. Uh, and uh, I think it's, it's important that uh, when you get alone with the Lord, uh, that uh, you get down on your knees and, and pray. Posture has a way of, you know, pride is, a, is an insidious thing, isn't it? We all have it. We dress it up, we beat it down, but it still pops up. And for me, it helps me. It does. It helps me to kneel. There's a, I, have a, I have a room. I go in. I shut the door. And uh, there's a chair. And I kneel there. And, uh, and, and I talk to the Lord. And it helps. The posture helps. The, the body reminds me when it's bent and, and kneeling that uh, he is God and I'm not. He's great and I'm his servant. And as I pour my heart out and spend time there, that's important. Posture is not everything, but it is something. That's right. Sometimes we stand and pray, right, as the occasion dictates. But my favorite is to kneel. One of the best parts of our elders' meeting is when we, we consider the needs of the body and the needs of our missionaries and the needs around and government, and then we spend time kneeling as men and we pray. We bring the needs before the people. That, that's the highlight of the, whole, of the whole time. Everything else is downhill. I mean, uh, think about that. It's really the way, way it is. Posture. To second, the occasion of his prayers. Uh, Luke, and we're in our study of Luke, Dr. Luke records nine occasions when Jesus prayed. Nine occasions. He's praying at his baptism. Let's, let's just walk through these quickly. Uh, it's a shorter message. I, I, at least I planned it to be shorter. Uh, let's just walk. Look at Luke. These are all in Luke. Luke at 321 and at his baptism. And when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. And you know the result of that. Look in, in chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. This is the, a long day of ministry. It was extremely tiring. I can't imagine the press of the crowd. And here's Jesus afterward praying. Yet the news about him spread all the more, verse 15, so the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, solitary places, and he prayed before choosing the twelve. That's our text for this morning in Luke 6. Before uh, the prediction of his death in 918, Here he is praying. Verse Once when Jesus was praying in private, there it is again, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Remember that? Peter answers, thou art the Christ. And then once they identify him, he begins to tell them that he is going to suffer and die in verse 22 and following. The Mount of Transfiguration in, in 929. There on that... Uh, Mount transfigured before them and had the glorious shine, the glory of the Lord, that Shekinah glory, that was his, and that will be his when we see him. Look at verse 29. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Wow. Before teaching the disciples how to pray. I mentioned that earlier in 11.1. In verse 2, and one day Jesus was praying, 
and in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. In 1021, just back up a few verses, he had sent out 70 for their itinerant ministry, and they came back and they report to him in 1021. Here, here the Lord is, uh, and he, he, is, uh, he is in prayer. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, look at his, look at his prayers recorded. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. Wow. And then Gethsemane uh, in, in chapter 22, and we won't read all of that, but uh, this is the night of his arrest. You know, if you knew you were going to be killed within hours, what would you do? And the Lord spent uh, three hours praying in Gethsemane in, in chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. You can read that later. The great prayer. I've stood there numbers of time in Gethsemane there in the valley, and uh, uh, just imagine that very scene. I think uh, John 17 is a record of his prayer. That's really the Lord's Prayer. I think that's what partly what he prayed. And uh, Lord, remove this cup from me. Uh, nevertheless, uh, thy will be done. It was the closest he ever came to death, apart from the cross. And uh, he prayed. And then and so he's praying uh, in Gethsemane. Then on the cross, in, in uh, chapter 23, 34, and 46, he's praying. He's praying on the cross. Uh, his life shouts to us the importance and the priority of prayer. And it ought to be that way for you and for me. Uh, we, we ought to know what it is to commune with God in prayer. Now here's a, I've often thought, some of you don't, have not heard me say it before, but an acronym to remember your prayer life would be uh, the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. You know, the A, begin your prayer uh, with adoration and worship God for who and what He is, the triunity of the Godhead, the glory of God, the wonder of His sovereignty. Uh, adoration, A. C is confession. Confess. Spend, your, spend some time in self-examination and ask God to root out of you the sin that easily besets you. You know, words that you've spoken, wrong attitudes, things that you should have did and you didn't do. Um, you know, all these things. Uh, ask the Lord to root it out of you. Self, ask Him. Have you prayed that way? Lord, I am so utterly selfish, I hate it. Or I'm so utterly prideful, Lord, deal with me on that. I'm a manipulator, or I'm a, I'm, I'm a coward. I, I fear to speak the name of Christ. Lord, forgive me. I'm such a coward. Give me boldness. You know, just, just confess. Just ask the Lord. Say, well, I don't know what. Ask the Lord. Lord, reveal to me the things I need to confess. You'd be amazed what comes to mind. It's like the garbage can. You're like, oh, no, oh, no. But, but confess that so that your fellowship is sweet. A-C, confession. T is thanksgiving. Fill your prayers with thanksgiving. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The old Gomer Pyle, remember him? Thank you, thank you, thank you. should be that way. Look at the Lord's Prayer. He's filled with thanks to the Lord. 
We ought to thank the Lord for all things. Think back at how God worked in your life. Honor your parents, even if they're, if they're gone. Thank you, Lord. What do you have that you've not received? You've received everything. Everything. You're entitled to nothing except the lake of fire. That's the way I read it. And God delivers us from that. Let's us live and be a blessing. You know, the entitlement mentality of most Americans is nauseating. They feel like they show up and they deserve it all. No way. No way. Begin with the fact you deserve hell, and then everything, you'd be amazed what you'd be able to give thanks for. Everything. The air you breathe, your heartbeat, the joy, the country that we live in. Yeah, we have problems. Who doesn't? Filled with sinful people, right? Our families, loved ones, neighbors, the gifts and ability, your jobs. Remember Ecclesiastes, find something you like about your job, even if you hate it. Look, it's better than no work. I've had one, I've had the other. No work is horrible. Drive me insane. Faith, shoot me, you know? You know, I said that to a man this morning. He just retired uh, Friday. Mark, a guy in my neighborhood, 34 years with UPS. Wow, that's a lot of packages, 34 years. I said, what are you going to do, Mark? He said, I start Monday. He's got another job. I said, good for you. I didn't want to attend your funeral two weeks from now. If guys don't have some, guys have to have a reason to get up in the morning. Yeah, you're right on that. That's right. I've seen too many guys pack it in too soon. So Got to have something to do, right? You got to say, I'm, I'm going to be busy. Good. Thank the Lord. A-C-T and then S is supplication. Bring the request of all those that you know before the Lord. Pray for them. We share them as a church family. Dave makes up a wonderful sheet every week for prayer meeting on Wednesday, and they're all on there. Uh, at least not, I mean, the sheet is full. They're not all the requests, but we, we're serious about that. We pray for the needs of one another. So A-C-T-S is a good acronym to remember your prayer life and, and what you ought to pray. Well, three, Jesus prayed in the morning and prayed in the evening. You want to check it out, Mark one thirty-five. he's up a great while before dawn and he's praying. And in the evening, after a long day, Mark 6.46, he prayed before great crises, Gethsemane. He prayed before and after great achievements. Prayed before, what, the raising of Lazarus in John 11, there he is praying. I'm thankful, Lord, Father, that you always hear me. Remember the prayer of Jesus? Before he said, Larry, come forth. He prayed before. I'd say that's a pretty great achievement. You know, unwrap him, get the death clothes off him. But then he prayed after, and I think that's equally or even more important, to pray after great achievements. I think we're very vulnerable at that point. After we finally, after our a long time or short, we reach a goal that we've been reaching for. On the other side of that, you're vulnerable. And he prayed. Uh, you can check Matthew 14, 23. After the long day of ministry, he spent that time in prayer. When feeling great pressure at work, he prayed. Great sorrows were met in prayer. Again, Gethsemane and others. The, the death of Lazarus. Jesus died praying. 
He died praying. His last utterance was one of trustful prayer. I have the reference there for you. He died praying. Never forget that. We're going to look at that in two weeks on Palm Sunday. The seven words from the cross. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I commit my spirit. He died praying. As a pastor, I've had the privilege, and it's an honor to be in the room when various men and women have died through the years. What a sacred honor that is to see them go from that bed, typically, right into glory. And a lot of that has been filled with prayer at the last moment. I'll never forget Faithy's dear mom suffering with leukemia. And uh, she would come in and out of the episodes. And godly, godly woman. Um, And uh, her last words were words of prayer. Lord Jesus, help me. Wow. Prayer. Maybe you've never thought about the priority that it ought to be. and Maybe the life of Jesus convicts you as it should convict all of us. We need to grow more in this important priority in our life. With Jesus, the habit, I have a quote, one of the quotes the men wrote, the habit of a lifetime cannot be quenched in even in the hour, even the hour of death. Wow, that's exactly, exactly right. Four, Jesus' prayers were filled with thanksgiving. As he communed with his father, he also prayed for his own needs. Again, the prayer at Gethsemane. He prayed for others. Peter, Satan has desired you, but I have prayed for you. He prayed for others, and so should we. He even prayed for the unsaved. I know some of my friends that love sovereignty of God and election and all those great biblical truths, you know. Here's Jesus praying for the unsaved. Now, can you ever imagine the Lord ever praying for something that wasn't answered? I think it was in Pentecost. As he's on the cross, right? They're nailing him there. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think, I think they were all saved at Pentecost or after. Again, he would never pray outside the will of the Father, would he? And we see that even at one point. He said, I could, I could call uh, 12 legions of angels. If he did that, guess what? It would have been all over there for the Romans. That would have been it. Boom. But he didn't. He endured all the suffering and the shame that our sin would be atoned. And so he didn't ask that in prayer. Wow. Father, forgive them. But you notice one thing in the ACTS acronym, he never had a C, did he? He never included any confession of any sin because he was out, without sin. He was sinless. The Son of God. Wow. Let me give you a couple quotes just by illustration. Some of these are some uh, men and women of old, and let me, uh, all dealing with a the theme of prayer. Some of these you may want to jot down. Some are a little long. You can't. Uh, one, one is, you cannot stumble if you're on your knees. That's pretty good, huh? You can't stumble if you're on your knees. Again, Ian Bounds writes, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better machinery, nor new organizations or more and new methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, men and women mighty in prayer. 
The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men and women. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but he anoints men, godly men and women, men and women of prayer. Amen. Augustus Toplady, a hymn writer, put it, The Christian on his knees sees more than the philosopher on tiptoe. Boy, think about that in your studies. Another writes, a short prayer will reach the throne if you don't live too far away. A short prayer will reach the throne if you don't live too far away. Here's another one. He stands best who kneels most. Not bad. I like that. Another, daily prayer is the gymnasium of the soul. Some of you are into working out, right? Daily prayer is the gymnasium of the soul. Martin Luther wrote, Prayer is the most important thing in my life. If I should neglect prayer for a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. Martin Luther and one more. You can do more than, than pray. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Don't know if I got the emphasis right, but you got the idea. <laughs> well, how did Jesus prepare for this important selection? Did he go to Camp David? Did he call in his uh, cabinet? No. He spent time on his knees in prayer, and it's so instructive for us. I had a pastor years ago, young pastor, Pastor Larry Bird. He now he's pastoring and has for over twenty years in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and a godly, godly man. And he taught me early about his prayer life, and it's forever changed my life. And uh, I really believe this stuff, and my life, if you look at my calendar, reflects it. And uh, developing a prayer book and writing in a little book, specific prayer requests, measurable, the date, and then room, how God answers. I pray with expectation. I pray, just not nebulous, Lord bless all the missionaries. Problem with that is you never know how God's going to answer that, or if he did. But I can pray for Dr. Jan Gephardt for her life in Turkey this last week, and to see her medevac home to Allentown, and she's starting to do a little better and stable and all that. We can pray specifically on that. See? You can. And I put down all kinds of things in my prayer book. And God sometimes, a lot of times, is so gracious and says yes. And sometimes I'm still waiting. And sometimes he says no for his own purpose. But he's so kind and so gracious. And... uh and until, in, in my case, you know, I, I, I determined I was going to trot myself out of bed early and meet the Lord early. And it's the best part of my day. Best part. And then now as I've grown older, uh, I, I make time even during the day for prayer. And uh, it means everything to me. And I, I don't know where you are in this. You know, it'd be nice if everyone's eyes turn like a certain color. Hey, you're in. Good. You're, you're discipline of prayer, disciplines of a godly man or woman's life. All right. Step up. 
Say, I'm no longer in kindergarten anymore, preschool. I'm in fourth grade. I'm hoping to graduate someday. Come on, move on. That's where the battles are won. That's where they're won in your life and in your heart. Have you noticed how hard your heart can be? Every day it's like, tune my heart to sing your praise. Why? Because I don't know what happens while I'm snoring away during the night. It gets off tune, you know, and like an orchestra. Did I say that before? I said somewhere. Do you tune the instrument after the concert? I don't think so. The concert said, you tune it before. Tune your heart to sing as prayer. Then you're ready to take on whatever happens. And life happens. Have you noticed that? All kinds of stuff. And stuff that's not written in your calendar for the day. Well, I didn't see that coming. Wow. Well, spend time with the Lord. Well, Jesus prepares for what? To select, that's the second observation here, his apostles anointing them to a specific ministry in verses 13 through 16. Jesus is going to select here uh, these men that we've read uh, in chapter 6. And when the morning came, verse 13, Jesus called his disciples. There was a large number. They came to him, and he chose from that large number 12. And he called them, he designated them, as apostles. Well, I'm reminded here, we do not choose our calling. God does. God does. Whatever your calling in life is, the gifts that he has given, your position, God does that. God has a way of doing that. He does. And he always gives you the ability to do what he wants you to do. He gives you the resource, the time, and the ability. Always. Now, be wholly and utterly dependent on it, no matter what you're doing. And there's such a variety of gifts and skills and ability. I, I admire so many of them in you. I don't have them. You know, and you think of the higher sciences or higher maths or, or, or literature, or some of you in the medical stuff, or some of you are tremendous with your hands. You know, you're incredible. Rob is incredible with this. I keep calling him a genius. I don't know how he knows how to do all that stuff. Some of you are brilliant in your ways. Amazing. And amazing. And really, and you, you who are homemakers, mothers, I, I don't know how you don't lose your mind. You know, like I'm one at a time, cross it off, and a, and a, a mother, like she's doing 10 things at once. I'm always amazed at Faith how she does that. And, and the dinner comes on the table, and it's all hot at the same time, and it's great. You know, I don't know how she does it. I lose my mind. It's a gift, it's a, an ability. And when I was a young kid, I never imagined being a pastor teacher, never. Some of you don't know me, think, like, oh, he's always been that. No, uh, no way. I had a pastor growing up, he was kind of grumpy. He was an older man. He had some health issues, and he's in heaven now. But he was kind of grumpy. So when I sat in the church at 16 and 17 and listened to a sermon, I just never, never occurred to me to so think, like, well, that's what I want to be. What? Never entered my mind. I was thinking about lunch after, you know, or something important. And God, in the process of time, drew me and called me, equipped me, enabled me, and put the desire in my heart. And then it's been, wow, 30-some years, I can't believe it. And God has led all the way. And, uh, and it's of His doing, that's for sure. And even, even as I pray all week and study for Sunday's message, I pray, Lord, these are dead words. If it's just up to me, they're, they're going to die. We all, all might as well just stay home. 
breathe life into this, save the lost, and challenge us. And, and may we know that we have met with you and that you've encouraged those that need to be encouraged and strengthened the saints and grown us and developed us to resist sin and, and to serve you as we leave. Please, Lord, meet with us. I pray that way, begging the Lord. and pray that he would do that. Well, God does the calling. He does the equipping. And he provides. Well, there's a larger group, A, of disciples. Just don't think there are 12 that were hanging around at the bottom of the mountain there. There were hundreds, perhaps, hundreds of them. And only 12 uh, were chosen. 12 men. Shall I say it? I mean, it's an aside, but they were 12 men. The church, like the home, is built upon male leadership. We live in a nutty day. It's a nutty day. It's a day of total uh, uh, subjective truth. There's nothing objective, nothing absolute. God has a far different opinion on that, and he's not changed his mind. He's not. He has male leadership in the home. It's a servant leadership. But men, you're the leader. And you're going to give an account where if you're married, your wife will not. Step up here, and you're going to give an account. I don't know if it's going to be 3D video behind or what, I know we're going to have a lot of time. You're not going to do the bum's rush and rush through it. And the same thing is in the church. And that's a minority practice today. It's shame on us because it is a biblical issue to the core. Male headship, leadership, different by design. A woman is, is beautiful and has her own unique place. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. I can't be a woman. I can't. I want to I bear, I'd never say that. I want to have a baby. I'd never. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the equipment, don't want to do it, been there, no. Right? Yeah. I should get a lot of male amen on that one. You know, God has a different role in design. Beautiful. Beautiful. The role confusion today is nutty. Doesn't mean a woman couldn't be president. I think of a whole list that would be outstanding ones, and I'd vote for them in a minute. Or corporate presence. Some of that got goofed up, you know? No, no. But in the home, equals, but God gives the responsibility of leadership to the man. And in the church, it's the same. There's no Alice in this list. Did you notice that? No Alice. No Susie's there, too. And he wasn't a pervert here, and they're, they're just, okay, we got to accommodate to the ancient day, and women were not. No way. No. Women ought to be lifted on a pedestal. They need to be protected and provided for. And they want that from, from you men. And we need to do that and care for that. Anyway, male leadership. They're all men. They're, they're, they're called apostles, B. A unique calling. I know there are apostolic churches today. The only problem is there are no apostles today. Yeah, they but well, Peter, you know, he laid hands on, then the next one laid hands on, laid hands on, and laid. No, it doesn't work that way. No, there there were the twelve apostles. Twelve. That's it. You read the end of the story. Go to Revelation twenty-one verse fourteen, and you'll find their names on the foundation. They're not like hundreds of these guys. No. I, when I talk about it, I'm talking about a capital A, the office of one of the 12 apostles. Now, we're all sent, right? That's little A. 
We're all sent ones. That's the word for a missionary. We're all sent, right? We're all sent, but we don't occupy the office of one of the 12. Big difference. No, think, think your way through this now. All right, so what about it? One, they're, they're the part of the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20. You know, foundation. You know, if you build a house, Roger told me this week they dug a hole, they're going to be putting in a foundation and putting a house there. You only build a foundation once, and then it's the superstructure on top, right? One foundation. Jesus isn't the foundation of the church. I was going to quiz you on that. He is not the foundation. I know many of you probably would have said, who's the foundation of the church? No, he's the cornerstone, the foundation, the apostles, and the prophets. The apostles, the apostles, the 12, he's he's talking about here. All right, they're foundational. Check it out, Ephesians 2.20. They're given the authority of Jesus. The authority. He gave them authority. See, they were learners, disciples, and then R.C. Sproul talked. Then they graduated. And he, God the Father, uh, we know from John 17, gave him these 12 after prayer. And then he officially designated them his legates or sent ones. Today, it's often like the, the power of attorney. Some of you have that. I've had that. Uh, when someone becomes older and feeble. Susan, do you have that with your mama? Yeah, I thought so. And some of you have had that that before the law, uh, you represent them. You are them. You make a choice on this or that, major decision, financial, medical. uh, You stand in their place. And so that's a good parallel thinking about it in our day. What is one of the 12? It's like having the authority of Jesus, the authority of that person under the power of attorney. Another uh, picture is like an ambassador, to a foreign country. You know, we, uh, United States, uh, most countries in the world, we, we send official representatives uh, to those countries. They live in, some of them are like fortified castles. You see the one in Doha, Qatar. I've been in the United States Embassy, and some of those countries, after you get there and eat, the, uh, you want to know the location of the embassy is kind of like next on the list. So in case something all breaks out, you want to know where to get real fast. An ambassador, have you noticed? He's different than a tourist. He's an American, or she, and they're over there, and they're eating the same food and drinking the water over there that we are, but they're not tourists. They're not foreign students. They have a job to do, and they represent the United States through the State Department as a part of the Embassy Corps. And they have the right to sign treaties. Of course, the Senate has to approve it. Uh, they represent uh, uh, the United States of America. So that's, that's an apostle. It's the right way to think about it. Three, they were, they were noticed they were, what, the 12? They were to be with him. It's the ultimate internship, if you will. And then they were to go forth for him. Watch and practice. And the order is all important. Spend time with him. The eye is a better learner than the ear. What a great program, this three-year training. Very intense, about the last year and a half. They were going to watch him and learn from him. The order is important. Mark tells us that you might be with me. 
and then that you might go forth for me. And that's what they did. Don't be running out too soon. Sometimes we, we want to run out and do something for Jesus, and we've not really spent time with him. Or we, we want too soon. Look, God knows where you live. He knows where you are. He's placed you. And at the right time, just be faithful. Grow in grace. Study. Read your Bible. And at the right time, it'll be recognized. And you'll have different responsibilities. I always get nervous when people want to, I want to be up front. Oh, really? Why do you want to be up front? Well, you know, I... Please sit down. You're not ready. When it's, it, you know, it'll be obvious. You may never make it. We've got a lot of work to do if that's your drive. Want to be up front. I'm nervous already. It's true. Yeah. And uh, that's the ultimate discipleship. Amen? That's what it is. Man. I've had the joy of training uh, many men, some for a year, a year program. About 13 of them, 12 of them still serving, some in Germany and other places. And some of the best work, they got to, to know me. I've trained hundreds of men in, in teaching of courses, but those that, that were with me for the year, the, the depth of training you couldn't replicate, just being a member of a college faculty or seminary faculty. Nothing like it. They were the twelve. He entrusted his whole future, the future of the church and us, to them. Watch and pray. Well, see, Jesus brings into this important group a wide variety of men. What a surprising list. They were common to the core. What a mixture. Oh, man, they would, the oddities of these people. But, you know, if you do a study of them, A.B. Bruce's The Training of the Twelve, good book to read. All the personalities probably representative of any good cross-section of churches, you know? It, it, it didn't seem to matter where they came from, and you know, that's always true. It really doesn't matter where you came from. I don't care if you're a Rockefeller or, or maybe you're related to Bill Gates or something. It really doesn't matter. What matters is where you're headed. That's true with all people. Some people are real proud in their ethnicity. I'm this and I'm that. Eh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. It's probably not true anyway. You probably got kin that's been in jail for years, you know. It matters where you're headed. And these were common, ordinary men. And God, the Lord put them together after praying. What a mixture. You got a zealot? He's a terrorist. You know, he would have killed Matthew at a, at a moment's notice. Matthew, the, the traitor, you know. Uh, incredible. What a list. What a list. Simon Peter, look at this list, right? Simon Peter, to what? He teaches us failure is not final. Thank you, Lord. I'll never fail thee. I'll never deny you, right? Within the hour. Not within the hour. Within 24, within 12 hours. Three times. Failure is not fine. Thank you, Lord, for Peter. You know, when we ask, well, what happened to all these? They all met a dreadful death except John. And you know, it's a reminder on the resurrection. People say, well, Jesus really didn't come forth bodily. 
you know, they just, you know, hope against hope, and they were just trying to pass on. Let's be romantic about this. Let's just tell this guy. You know what? It, it denies a reality. Men do not die for what they know is not true. You know, they don't do that. They don't do it. There's a psychological element here. They don't get nailed to the cross, have their head cut off, and the sword thrust through them for what they know is a lie. They won't do it. They saw the resurrected Christ, and they were forever changed. Peter, he died. It was his request. He died on a cross. And his request was, hang me upside down. I'm not worthy to be hung on a cross like my Lord. Peter. Andrew, his brother, he brought, uh, he brought Peter to Jesus. You can read that in the Gospels. And, and Andrew is always known for always bringing someone to Jesus. Look at that. You'll see it. There are three or four times in the Gospel. He's always bringing someone to the Lord. Andrew. Oh, might we be Andrews. You know, Andrew was also killed on a cross. Uh, the cross was turned on its side. Did you know that? It was turned on its side, so it was like an X. And some of you perhaps are more familiar than others. It's called, when you see a little medallion uh, on a necklace, the St. Andrew's cross. The cross is turned this way, and that's how he was crucified. Andrew. Wow, St. Andrew's cross. James and John, brothers, again, fishermen. James was the first apostle killed. That's Acts 12, 2 it should be. James. You know, he's a son, Zebedee. I love any Zs. You'll have to love them. James Z, right? Sons of Zebedee. Sons of thunder. This guy was probably pretty flamboyant. Herod had him killed. He arrested him, killed him, right? So it pleased the Jew. He was the first one to die. Probably was around 40, maybe, when he died. And the next on the list is his brother John. He was the beloved one. John's the only one that we can tell that died of natural age. John lived to be maybe 100. Fisherman, youngest, beloved, wrote uh, the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, the Book of Revelation, John. It's amazing. Here is Brother James. He's first to die of the apostles. And then John is the last. Well, what's the message in that, Lord? Here it is. It's not really a matter of how long you live. Do you know that? It's how you live. And God has designed all our days. And James, for God's glory and purpose, he's the first to die. And John, his brother, he lives 60 years or so after by God's ordination. It's not how long you live. It's how you live that's all important. And then you have Philip, the practical. And any group of men or church, you have the practical, the number counters. And Jesus is going to draw him out. He got all these thousands that are hungry, need to eat before he's going to feed them the five the five thousand. He looks at Philip, says, How are we gonna how are we gonna fill them? How are we gonna feed them? There are no McDonald's around. And Philip had already done some calculating. Philip, he's the practical. He's got the adding machine. He's the accountant, right? The actuary. Lord, eight months of, eight months of wages is not enough. And, but isn't it interesting? The Lord asked Philip, 
that. He was drawing him out. He wants him, look, it's not everything you can see and add. It's trust me. You need to grow in your trust of me. And that's Philip, the practical. Wow. Nathaniel is probably also Bartholomew and the son of Ptolemy is what that means. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was crucified, if we can trust church history. And then Matthew, we saw him a few weeks ago, the tax collector. He was martyred in 60 A.D. Thomas, the Didymus, that means the twin, he was utterly devoted to Jesus. He's kind of a pessimistic guy. You know, like Jesus said, all right, we're going to go to Bethany now. Uh, and, and the word is, if we go there, we're in, we're in deep trouble. We'll get, you know, we're, we're going to die. And the Lord said, we're going. He said, okay, we'll go with you and die. Kind of like he's got the cloud hanging over his head. But he's utterly devoted to the Lord. I mean, he goes, he goes, he goes. The twin, do you know, church history said he went to India. And there was a great church there established uh, in India as a result of Thomas's uh, ministry following Pentecost. He was killed there. Don't you love his words in the upper room? My Lord and my God, when the Lord appears. And then you have uh, James, son of Elpheus. Uh, church history tells it when he was 94 years old, uh, he was stoned by the Jews, and they smashed his skull, and his brains came out. Unbelievable. What a, what a great and godly man. You know, some of these we don't know very much. You know, some of these are lesser. We know Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and, and it thins out pretty quickly. We don't know them. Here's the truth from that. Uh, we, we, don't, uh, uh, we do not live our lives without God's notice. We may not know much. Right? We may not know much. What an honor to have their name in the Bible. Wouldn't that be something if your name was in the Bible? Mine, did you know my name's in the Bible? It is. Larry? And the, no, not in the front page. No, everywhere you see, and they tarried here, and they tarry there. Unbelief in the house of the Lord. I can't believe it. Listen, we may not know much about some of these, but God knows everything about their lives. He knows everything about your lives, the very hairs on your head, the number of your days, and therefore serve him with all your heart. He keeps the books. So whether we don't very much about James, son of Elpheus, Simon the terrorist, we know in church history, at least they report in 74 AD, he was crucified in Great Britain. He had taken the gospel there. And then Jude... Don't know much about him. How about Judas the betrayer? That's sometimes a great question. Well, how could he have been one? Listen, there's no mistake. There's no plan B ever. In God's plan, it was his plan for his death of his own son, and thus for our salvation that Jesus be betrayed. And so, and so Judas, Iscariot, he's probably the only Judean, he was a man who was trusted. How do, how do I know he was trusted? He was a treasurer. You don't give the guy the money bag if you're wondering if he's a thief. You know, he's the last guy. He carried, they trusted him. He was a part of the group. You know, there's a, great, there's a message there. You know, there's some of you that may be members of the church, some that are active here and coming, and I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. But you're not in. 
You may look and smell good. And you might be faithful. But only you and God know. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Whether young or old, doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. I prayed with folks very old. They weren't sure. And young ones, oh my. Wow. Well, lessons for our life. Let's, let's draw these lessons and we'll be done. Number one, grow in your prayer life. Grow in it. Grow in it. Don't be stagnant in it. Try something new. Read some books on prayer. Take a hymn book when you pray. Sing a song to the Lord. Open that up while you're, as a part of your prayer life. Prayer comes first. It ought to permeate your, your life. Pray for your kids. Last night I was on the phone to Wisconsin, and before I got off with Jonathan, I said, let's just pray quick here. He's got some issues and, and difficulties. I said, well, let's just give this to the Lord. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. What a great thing. Don't you think of that? I get hit by a bus today. The last thing, well, my dad prayed with me. What a mark to leave on them. They'll never get over it. My dad, my mom, they knew how to wrestle with God and, uh, and pray. You know, what a, what a heritage in that. Be that. You can be that. Be that. God's looking for that. Meet with him. Some of you, your appointments, you're way behind on it. Permeate. Number two. It's important to find a private place to pray daily and pour your heart out to the Lord. The Lord went into a mountain, and the crowd of the people had to get up early when no one else around. Uh, find a private place. It's important. Go in. Shut the door. It's important to do that. You can pray at other times, of course, but it's built, and their blessings are built upon that private time. Meeting with the Lord. Sometimes I can't tell you, some of us live in close quarters. It's hard to do that. But you ask the Lord, he'll give you a closet. Find a closet. I used to call that a prayer closet. Days gone by. Now we can't even get in if your closets are like mine. <laughs> Find a room and shut the door. Number three, never make decisions without bathing them in prayer. It amazes me the decisions people make without bathing them in prayer. People decide on career changes or moving or spouses or where to go to school. Great decisions, and then small that never even think to talk to the Lord about that in prayer. Never, never. What, what's that mean? It should not be that way. God made this for himself, that we might fellowship with him. Not just when we need a life preserver. Help! Help! Lord said, I, I don't know if I know your voice. You haven't prayed that much. Oh, my, my, shut the door and make decisions. Bathe them in prayer. Number four, be encouraged like the 12. God usually uses ordinary people like us. Common, ordinary people, that's us. Be encouraged. Some of you have great skills and ability. Most of us don't. And God is glorified in that. Number five and last, and here it is. Make sure that you're not like Judas, the Iscariot. Make sure. Examine your heart. The one who appeared to be a believer but was really lost. Settle that issue today. Come to Christ. Call upon him. He'll save you in a moment. Save forever. Lord Jesus, Mm -mm -mm. I receive you as my Lord and Savior.
Wow, these were the soldiers that he committed the ministry to. And I'd like us to close uh, by singing, because we are now 21 centuries later, not apostles, but believers. And God wants us to move forth as soldiers of the cross for him. This old hymn that many of you, I'm sure, know, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Look at verse 2 when we sing it. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me on to God? And we sing like the apostles of old. Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. Let's just stand and sing this, and we'll be done. Let's sing, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own His cause or blush to speak His name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while Others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas. Are there no foes for me to fight? Must I not stem the flood? Is this wild world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by the Word. Father, we pray that you dismiss us with your blessing. Make us into men and women of prayer so that it's just like breathing, that we would be so burdened to take everything, all our cares, our dreams, our troubles, even the good times, as we pour out our heart and learn of you in new ways. Grow us up. May we be known as a praying people. Oh, God, help us in this. Thank you so much that we can be built upon the foundation of the apostles and do the work of the ministry, and fight the good fight of faith, and to go out into this world for you. Bless us, make us a blessing to all that we should meet, and we'll thank you with all our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen.